fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America, the next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. Happy Monday. Happy beginning of the week. Our first full five-day work week of the month of January and the year of 2024. Holy cow, man. Strap in, buckle up, and get let's get ready for it. It's going to be a fun one for sure. we got a lot to talk about today. I am trying to trying to organize my thoughts here because there is so much to talk about already that it's hard to break it down and keep it concise without blurring the lines altogether. So we'll do our best throughout the program today. Welcome in. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV, live streaming, podcasting. However you watch or listen to the show, so wonderful to have you with us. No guests today. I know that's kind of an odd one. You and I just chit in the chat through most of the day today, looking into each other's eyes, fixing each other's worlds, and solving the world's problems one adult beverage at a time. Or something. Maybe you can have a fake adult beverage. That's totally cool as well. (laughs) We have Congress that's officially reconvening tomorrow. Although they're back up, they already released their plans for what they have for a budget. We'll get to that here in just a moment. We had Joe Biden wrapping up last week with the January 6th uh, speech that he gave about how Donald Trump's going to be an evil tyrant. If that's the bar that you've set it to be at for the campaign this early in the game, we're 10 months out from election time, and that's the bar that you set. You're going to have a hard time, my friend, trying to win over some more voters because that's not going to win you a whole lot. But in fact, Joe Biden was back at it again with on the campaign trail talking about what he wants to do for the nation. Let's go into the Biden basement. As he was speaking at a black church in what was it, South Carolina, saying this. Without light, there's no path from this dark. Without the truth, there's no light. Without light, there's no path from this darkness. Okay, so if you can't hear that, that was the call for the ceasefire with Palestine. If you really care about the lives of us, you care about the ceasefire going on in Palestine. Ceasefire now as they begin the rant and the chant of breaking up the president of the United States speech. Oh, my. Oh, my. There were a lot of them, too. Oh, yeah. The whole back row of the church, all full. Okay, all right. Before we go any further, I have to admit to you, this this chanting of let's just drown them out with our own little chant of four more years, this is the first time in the almost four years that he's been out, this is the first time that I've ever heard anybody actually advocate and promote Joe Biden. Every other time they're like, ah, Donald Trump's kind of evil. Just gonna come. And just be kind of quiet. No, this is the first time that anybody's actually openly advocating for Joe Biden to be president of the United States at a black church in South Carolina. Very interesting. I understand their, I understand their passion. And I've been quietly working. I've been quietly working with the Israeli government to get them to reduce and significantly get out of Gaza. 
and using all that I can to do. Yeah, okay. So there he is, trying to trying to warm everybody up. I'm working behind the scenes very diligently, very quietly behind the scenes in order to win people over and tell them to pull out of Gaza and have Israel become dismantled and dissolved, which is what the Democrats officially want. I Again, Joe Biden, man, I if that's what you want to do, that's all the power to you, but I don't think that you have a winning campaign tactic right now. Now, Democrats will obviously vote for a Democrat. They will never flip sides, especially if it's Donald Trump that is the candidate, which here's my early prediction in the election. I know that we're a week away, officially seven days away today from the Iowa caucus, that if Donald Trump wins Iowa and if Donald Trump wins New Hampshire over the next week and a half, two weeks, then it's pretty much game over. And Donald Trump will be the nominee. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I'm saying if that happens, then it's going to be game over. If he wins those first two, it is going to be just a slippery slope of the candidates dropping off and bailing out. And Donald Trump just consolidating that power and those numbers for the Republican primaries, even by the uh, the point that most of the middle part of the country here, like where I'm at in Kansas, where we have our primaries in like the middle of March, that it'll pretty much be game over by then already. So... The Republicans, if they do want to find that alternative, they're going to have to find one pretty quickly in like, I don't know, seven days. And the Democrats are already focusing their attention on pretty much accepting the fact that Donald Trump will be the nominee to the point. If you remember on Friday, Barack Obama made a very vicious statement, apparently going after the team on the Joe Biden camp, saying that he does not have strong enough uh, team members on the campaign and how he needs to drastically do some changes or ramp up the viciousness, if you want to call it that, against Donald Trump because, well, he's leading in the polls and we can't have Donald Trump as president again. So Joe Biden's made two speeches in the last four days. Kind of impressive for the guy. I don't know how much stamina he's actually going to be able to maintain (laughs) because the steroids will wear off eventually and he'll forget where he's at. But he at least made a speech on Friday that he rehearsed quite a bit to where he didn't have too many gaps and just lose his place. I didn't hear the entire speech on this one over the weekend at the Black Church in South Carolina. But with the hecklers, that definitely threw him off. And if you watch the video of it, it's quite fascinating to watch and see the dead glaze in his eye while he's watching these protesters get escorted out of the back of the church. So two speeches in three days on the campaign trail is kind of impressive. My theory, again, is that he's going to campaign hard here at the beginning. He's going to pretty much round up the electorate votes for the primaries, make sure no one else just kind of sneaks in and does something that he's not anticipating. And then he goes MIA like he did last election in 2020. He won't do any debates. He won't campaign after that. It'll just be done. And that's all he cares about. As long as he uh, solidifies and locks in the Democrat primary, then that's all he has to worry about. So the early campaign, and then he can rest and coast the rest of the election season into November, hoping that the same thing will happen this time that happened last time in 2020 because who knows Donald Trump could get a rally and could win over some more people, especially with the way that they're viciously attacking him, which did you see the latest attack on Donald Trump at our latest and what's trending? What's trending today. We knew it was going to happen, but let's think about this logically. Shall we? The headline, if you go into Drudge report, which I do not go on Drudge report a whole lot any longer because of, how they've kind of changed their tone on conservatism, especially with Donald Trump and the Republicans and so on and so forth. They have really changed their tone quite a bit on how they portray conservative messages. I don't go on there a whole lot. Every once in a while, they have some interesting stories. But they have a headline all over in the red, bold, top story of the day is that Donald Trump 
had adult relations with the Jeffrey Epstein, not the island, but at Jeffrey Epstein's mansion with multiple women. Whoa! Whoa! According to the story, there is one individual who used to work there, or at least be part of in some way, shape, or form, that wanted to come out with this information during the 2016 election. Didn't want Hillary Clinton to be president, didn't want Donald Trump to be president, but redacted those claims to the journalists that they were reporting them to, saying that they had gone through enough with their family that they didn't want this to be out there and completely retracted everything that they had released. Well, apparently the information's back out now. According to TheMessenger.com, former President Donald Trump regularly had adult relations with a woman at Jeffrey Epstein's Manhattan mansion along with some video and photo that are allegedly floating around out there between Bill Clinton, Prince Andrew, and Richard Branson with a sex tape by the financier of Jeffrey Epstein. The allegations were made by a woman by the name of Sarah Ransom to a journalist with the new public documents that are in court uh, floating about right now. As according to the report, they say that Donald Trump, and they try to give all this explicit detail about this, about how Donald Trump was heavily involved with this woman, had multiple relations with her all the time, and were affixiated with certain parts of her body. We don't need to read all those because that's really stupid. But they made all these claims back in 2016, then retracted all of it, and now the story is coming back out with the public documents that are being released with the Epstein trial case. Now, I ask you the question. Now, you can believe this, you cannot believe it. I don't know. I wasn't there. We cannot say one way or the other whether Donald Trump was actually involved with it or not. What we do know is, number one, Donald Trump never went to the actual island. He did, however, go to the mansion of Jeffrey Epstein. But here's where kind of my radar of questionality comes into play. I ask the simple question of, if this were in the public documents, why was this not story number one on day number one when the documents were actually released? Because we heard about Bill Clinton. We heard about Michael Jackson. We heard about Stephen Hawking's, yeah, the guy that was in the wheelchair that was a pretty crazy guy from what it sounds like in the public documents. We heard about all these individuals, but we didn't hear a word about Donald Trump. In fact, Donald Trump Jr. made a tweet on that day when all the documents were out and all it was the big hoopla just last week saying, hey, if Donald Trump's name was involved in this at all, we would have known about it. It obviously would have been story number one. The media kind of sort of reporting about the Epstein list that was released. Most media making a mockery of it, saying, I can't believe people are still fascinated by this stuff. Who really cares? Trying to obviously bury the story that the Clintons were heavily involved and so many Democrat politicians, Democrat celebrities, and individuals from the left side of the aisle were the ones that were predominantly going to Epstein Island. They didn't want that information out, so they tried to do the hush-hush, put the zipper on, throw away the key, and not talk about it, and just say, yeah, it's out there. If you want to go look at it, I guess you can. When it's kind of a big story to talk about who's involved with Jeffrey Epstein and the island, Right now, but now all of a sudden we had a week, almost a week of this information out to the public. Then we had the story of the Miami Mall. For those that don't know about that story, that's a fascinating one by itself. In an attempt, in many people's opinions, in the conspiracy theory realms, put on your tinfoil hat for just a moment as a conspiracy to distract us from the Epstein list. 
which if you haven't heard the story in Miami of anywhere from an active shooter scenario to kids firing off fireworks at a mall to eight to ten foot tall black shadow demonic demons that were chasing people around the mall, bringing in hundreds of police cars all over the place. We don't know the story. No one has any positive answers for sure. Law enforcement not telling us anything. And the big red flag pops up is what kind of distraction are they hiding us from? Probably the Epstein list that was just recently released. Then days after that is when we see this headline all over the place. Is that Donald Trump had relations with a woman multiple times at this mansion and was asphyxiated by her and certain aspects of her. And this woman wanted to release this years ago, but never did, retracted the statement. And now the journalist is trying to come out with this with the court records now because, well, Donald Trump's back in the news. We've had this procession of information that was released, but you would think, again, if Donald Trump's name was associated at all, and I'm not saying he's not. I'm not saying that he's pure. I'm not saying that he's clean. I'm not saying that he didn't do anything at all. I'm not saying that he very well could have. But number one, it doesn't look like it was with an underage individual. It was just with another woman. So the worst case you have right now is him having a mistress alongside with from Melania Trump. As an adulterer, you can judge him however you want to with that, if that is the case. But you would think that this information was accurate and if this information really did happen, that you would think that would have been story number one, headline number one, on day number one, and it wasn't. So again, the things that make you go, hmm, with the story, they allowed the story of Bill Clinton and the others come out beforehand. And to me, that makes me very skeptical because just like every other time when they're like, we got him on tax evasion or the we got him on the insurrection or the we got him on this case or we got him with Russian collusion. Every time the media comes out and says, this is it. This is the final straw that breaks the camel's back and destroys Donald Trump. We realize that that's actually not the case and they lied about it the whole time. It's the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. What's up? Happy Monday, 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you check us out. Always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. So we have the Democrat Party right now that's eating itself alive. It's kind of entertaining to watch. And I got, <laughs> I was half expecting Joe Biden in a speech over the weekend at the South Carolina church to try and pull out the I'm going to relate to you because I'm totally relatable to you. Remember Hillary Clinton back in the day during during her campaigns? Yeah, she was great. I don't yeah. feel no ways tired. <laughs> I come too far from where I started from. Nobody told me that the road would be easy. I don't believe he brought me this far to leave me. Yeah, I would almost expect that from Joe Biden as well, except I don't think he has enough energy to pull something off like that. He just he just got a Donald Trump's evil. So we have that on one side of the aisle. We have the bickering among the Republicans on the other side of the aisle. And Donald Trump still walks into a rally, pulls in 7,000 people. And we have uh, Nikki Haley. We have Ron DeSantis that are going into restaurants with 20 people in there trying to talk to them. It's an interesting dynamic, and it seems more and more, whether you like it or dislike it, I'm not approving it or saying this is the best ticket possible, but I am saying that it seems more and more likely that the 2024 election, unless unless something drastic happens, is going to be a Donald Trump-Joe Biden re-election. 
and rematch for 2024, which a lot of people are very upset about and totally understand why. Nonetheless, the distraction of the Biden campaign right now is while Donald Trump's evil. Now look at the fact that he's all over the place with Jeffrey Epstein's mansion having relations. And again, not with minors, which is what the entire story of Epstein's all about. But if you want to judge Donald Trump, again, we don't know any proof or facts or interesting. uh, We don't have any information on it other than one person's claim that retracted that information that he was asphyxiated with a certain individual. And if that's the case, then, you know what, judge him all you want for a lack of character, for a lack of morals, for, you know, being a little promiscuous and cheating on his wife. Judge him all you want to on that. I'm not, you know, trying to defend it at all in any way, shape, or form. We don't know any information, though. And even if that is true, I would still take him having some type of affair with a mistress as opposed to being with little kids. I think there is a standard difference there at some level as opposed to literally having emails from Jeffrey Epstein saying that Bill saying that Bill Clinton liked a lot of them and liked them really little. I mean, there's a big difference there, is there not? Again, not defending him, but we need to have some type of level here. And with someone that retracted their their accusation from years ago, now that's coming out now, what is this for? Is this the distraction that we're trying to see from the Biden camp? Is this a distraction from something else going on? What the heck's going on here while the Democrats are literally eating themselves alive? Andy, what do you mean by that? Well, right now we have the Democrats, obviously Democrat individuals that are protesting Joe Biden at rallies because he's upset everybody. He's upset Every demographic is Democrats trying to hold on to, we're the inclusive one, so let's put everybody in boxes and let's play the identity politics. You're the blacks, you're the Hispanics, you're the women, you're the trans, you're the LGBTQ, you're this, you're that. Let's just put everybody in boxes and then we'll just control every one of those groups. And now the groups are starting to infight amongst each other. We have Chicago citizens and residents, the low income, the black individuals in the inner cities there that are now saying they're not going to vote Democrat because they're tired of begging for more benefits from the government and they're not getting it. And then watching illegal immigrants waltz right in and get a whole bunch of government benefits and walk in and get a job and get rent and get food and get all this good stuff. When the community there, they wanted them. They wanted that stuff. So guess what? Now they're losing that vote. They're losing the vote of the Muslim community because they don't feel the Muslim community is being uh, represented enough with a ceasefire and the elimination of the Israeli state. At the same time, you're losing the Jewish vote because the Jewish vote says that you're not really standing up for Israel the way that you really should be standing up for them. You have women that are upset because now the Democrats see transgender individuals as women and taking over that entire industry. You have now rocked the boat on every demographic that you supposedly represent and defend and stand up for. What does that mean for the party? But orange man bad. He's a fascist. He's a Nazi. Don't want to vote for that guy. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. When reason meets radio, this is the voice of reason with Andy. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it on the home stretch. Last half hour of the show. Oh, how the time flies right on by trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time multiple radio stations all over the place 
We have the infighting of the Democrats. We have a tiff going on within the Republican Party. The elections are going to be a wild one. They're going to be bigly, as we like to say on the program. And I think we're going to make it bigly. Yeah, that's what we do here. But uh, watching how this is all going to unfold is going to be definitely interesting. So pop the popcorn throughout the year because, <laughs> yeah, we're only getting started for this one. Speaking of, we now have Congress that is reconvening officially tomorrow as they haul back into D.C., Today And they've talked about some of their plans and what they want to work on. We have a lot of things on the slate there, which I want to get into in our latest and what's trending. What's trending today? Now, we are officially a week and a half-ish away from the phase one of the federal budget expiring with the continuing resolution. The end of it, the second one, going into the beginning of February. And the big question is, of course, will the federal government actually be able to pass their federal budget in a timely manner and do it in a way that's actually going to cut spending? Now, I have been praising the House Republicans, even with the slim majority that they've had, by passing eight or nine of their appropriations bills out of the 12 that they need to do that has some pretty drastic cuts in the bills. A little bit here, a little bit there. Things are nice. Do we Are they where we need to be? Probably not, but, you know, at least a good first start. There was apparently a deal that was set between Speaker of the House Mike Johnson and the Democrat Chuck Schumer over in the Senate on what this federal budget may look like sitting in a $1.66 trillion federal budget moving forward for the year. Now, now, hold on. That's at the time where Mike Johnson spent the weekend visiting down at the southern border, which has obviously been a complete, utter disaster, saying this. One thing is absolutely clear. America is at a breaking point with record levels of illegal immigration. And today, we got a firsthand look at the damage and the chaos the border catastrophe is causing in all of our communities. The situation here and across the country is truly unconscionable. We would describe it as both heartbreaking and infuriating. It is an unmitigated disaster, a catastrophe. And what's more tragic is that it's a disaster of the president's own design. Yeah, well, pretty much is. And again, this is why we see the infighting with the Democrats. Look, as we mentioned in the last segment, we have the African-American community that's upset because, at least in Chicago and in other places, because illegal immigrants are coming in and getting all the social benefits. When that community, not saying that... I, mean, I can hear the headlines now. Conservative Talk Radio says that black communities only want social programs. It's not the case. The inner city communities that already are on social programs, they've been advocating for more because of inflation, which, by the way, the report shows that it's at over 17% for the past three years under the Biden administration. But they're asking for an increase, and they want more. And they're upset that right now they need help in their communities from the government, and the government's not giving them any help, but it's giving help to illegal aliens that have been shipped in to these communities while these cities have claimed to be sanctuary cities and then get upset that the illegal immigrants are being dropped off for them as the sanctuary city. Kind of ironic. You have the Hispanic community right now that is extremely upset with the open border policy after so many have come here legally or even maybe non-legally throughout the years to get away from the cartels from Central America. And guess what's coming through the open border policy at the, at the border right now? The cartels. And they don't want this garbage. We have women that are upset with the LGBTQ movement and the trans individuals that identify as women. We have, I'm trying to think, that everybody else is all upset. Oh, yeah, the, the Muslim community, the Israeli communities are all upset with the Democrats and the Biden administration. They're being picked off one by one by one. And at the same time, Donald Trump says, let's do a rally in inner city communities. Let's do a rally in Hispanic communities. Let's do a rally somewhere because what have you got to lose? You've been voting Democrat for the last 60 years, and obviously this has not helped out. 
So the Republicans have momentum, but we have to make sure that we don't lose that momentum. We have to make sure that we're still open to accepting in these new individuals when they're willing to come over because of how badly the Democrat state is right now for their party. And Mike Johnson is a pretty substantial figure and voice in that movement. It's not just Donald Trump. It's a lot of individuals. And right now, the guy that's actually leading the policy charge for the Republican Party would be Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. And right now, I told you before the end of the year, I said that we're willing to give him some leeway. He was just voted in as Speaker in early November. He had about a month to try and get things in his ducks in a row, so to speak, before the end of the year. That included a federal budget. And some conservatives were upset about his continuing resolution. That was the two-tiered thing going into January 19th for the first phase and the beginning of February for phase number two. And some conservatives, nope, we don't want that. We want the federal budget right now, and we want it to be cut by 80%. While I totally agree with that, we got to give the guy some leeway. We have to give him some give room. We cannot fix Rome overnight with a brand new guy that just gets voted into office. He did something more than any other Republicans been able to do for a while, and that was actually set some type of tone for the Republican Party to give some type of positive messaging to the Republican Party, to give some type of positivity that we're not going to just keel over and bend over and get whatever the Democrats give us, like Kevin McCarthy did, like so many other speakers and Republican leaders did before Mike Johnson. So he's done some good, but now we're at a situation where we're coming up on this deadline. And we have to figure something out. According to them, they have to figure something out or else we're going to see another government shutdown. Now, as far as I'm aware of, and we'll get some elected officials on to clarify this for us, but as far as I'm aware that if we go past these deadlines, that we wouldn't see an actual government shutdown. What we would see would be a cutting of certain government programs to do a bit of a freeze and downsize and cut their budgets to keep them open, but to get them on bare skeleton crews. Which, in my humble opinion, why the hell aren't we doing that in the first place? I mean, that should be our <laughs> our normal level of spending. Why can we still do a cut and cut and cut but keep the department open and then be like, oh, well, we're going to cut out all this fluff? Why isn't that the normal level of spending? That would be my first question. But nonetheless, I digress from that. If we do end up keeping government open, I'm totally okay with not passing this budget and letting things just downsize themselves automatically and just keep the government running at the bare minimum levels. Well, apparently Mike Johnson and Chuck Schumer from the House and the Senate have come together over the weekend and on Sunday made the announcement that they have agreed on a $1.7 or $1.66 trillion spending budget moving forward. As Mike Johnson praises that he's been able to do some major cuts in it, including close to $16 billion additionally from what he thought was going to be cut, uh, totaling more than right around $30 billion in federal government cuts. To try and offset from what he said was an agreement between Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden of an increase in spending of near $69 billion. So we really cut that and offset it by about a half of what we had looked at. Still an increase. They say overall government spending, according to Mike Johnson and some Republicans that are in a bipartisan group with this bill, is that this bill would cut government spending by roughly 1%. Now, I'm conflicted, and I'm torn on how to believe this and how to believe in this, because, number one, the fact that we're going in the opposite direction is good news. That's good news that we're at least addressing it. Is it enough? No, it's not enough. But is it good news that we're at least moving that right direction? Yes, that is. Now, according to some, however, 
They say it's not enough with conservatives in, in the Truth Caucus or the Freedom Caucus that has come out and said that it's not enough. But in fact, this is not the right number, but it is actually higher than what they anticipated. According to the Freedom Caucus... Making a statement on Twitter, it's even worse than we thought. Quote, don't believe the spin. Once you break through the typical Washington math, the truth, uh, the true total programmatic spending level is $1.658 trillion, not $1.59, which is what they tried to say, saying that this bill is a, quote, total failure. And many individuals, including Chip Roy and even Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has been a big fan of Mike Johnson, Wrote on the Tweety just a little bit ago, I am a no on the Johnson-Schumer budget deal. This $1.6 trillion budget agreement does not secure the border, does not stop invasion, or does not stop the weaponization of government targeting Biden's political enemies and innocent Americans. So much for the power of the purse. Conservatives not happy about this, which could throw the wrench in the system of Mike Johnson on his first major test in Washington, D.C. If you remember... There are some that walked out at the beginning of the year, including one by Kevin McCarthy that now has an open seat in the state of California, which means between Kevin McCarthy that's out because he just walked away, I've been ashamed, I've been disrespected in Washington, D.C., I was supposed to have my limelight for the next couple years, I'm totally gone, boom, December, he's out. He couldn't just wait 10 more months to just ride through it. Then you have George Santos that has been walked out because of, well, his shenanigans in the House of Representatives as well as a Republican. Now you have Steve Scalise that's also come out and said that due to his cancer treatment, he's out for the mo- uh, excuse me for the month of January. He's going to be out, which means our majority of two twenty one to two hundred and thirteen really is down to about two eighteen to two thirteen. So about a five vote majority. If there are five Truth Caucus members that do not approve of this new federal budget bill, then it doesn't pass. Which means conservatives have the power here. They have the majority. Well, Andy, if they if they vote for it and it's too radical, then Democrats won't vote for it. True. But again, I ask the question to Republicans, which seems to be the ongoing repetitive question we do on this program all the time. This is the ongoing battle that we have every single time. Why are Republicans having such a hard time unifying on a more conservative agenda than always calling out the far right wingers, calling out the radicals? calling out the nuts on the extreme fringe, the fringe Republicans, calling them out and telling them to come back to the center. Why is it always that argument as opposed to why are the moderate Republicans not getting on board with an actual Republican agenda? We have an opportunity to do some major cuts and major consolidation right now. And while this seems decent, we could do better. We can always do better. And I don't know whether we should actually support the bill or not. I haven't actually seen the bill, so I'm going to hold off on that part of it. But right now, uh, we have Mike Johnson that is working at a very slim majority of Republicans to try and get this passed in the House while trying to win it off, saying that this is a big praise and a big one. It's a, it's the result is real savings to American taxpayers and real reductions in the federal bureaucracy, according to Mike Johnson in a statement to the other House Republican members. Is this a good bill? I guess time will tell as we get further into this discussion. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed. Welcome back into it. So I am skeptical that we're going to see this federal budget pass of this $1.7, $1.6 trillion federal budget with Mike Johnson trying to find the happy medium by everybody, I guess, on both sides of the aisle. I'm more skeptical when Democrats kind of get all giddy about something. They do a joint statement talking about how great this is and how they're happy with it and how it's the bipartisan movement. When Democrats do that... We did it! We did it! <laughs> I get a little skeptical. According to the reports here, we have a joint statement that was made by Hakeem Jeffries, the top Democrat House member, and Chuck Schumer saying that the framework agreed to on Sunday, quote, clears the way for Congress to act over the next few weeks in order to maintain important funding priorities for the American people and avoid a government shutdown. Now, I didn't think we were going to have a government shutdown for one, and I don't know what those funding priorities are, but according to Democrats, funding priorities are usually like social programs. They're the ones that don't understand the two-part budget. They don't understand discretionary versus mandatory spending. They think that the military somehow gets all this massive amounts of money compared to the federal budget, which is not the case. And if you believe that, then you should do a little Googling about how the federal budget actually works because basic Google searches will tell you how much money compared to the federal budget as a whole that the military actually gets. However, in a letter to Republican colleagues, Mike Johnson, the Republican, also said that Republicans have, quote, secured hard-fought concessions, saying that it includes $10 billion in cuts to the Internal Revenue Service and a clawback of $6 billion in some of the unused COVID-19 pandemic relief funding. Quote, the result is real savings to American taxpayers and real reductions in the federal bureaucracy. Joe Biden said that he also welcomes the news, saying that in a statement, the funding framework, quote, moves us one step closer to preventing a needless government shutdown and protecting important national priorities. Both sides of the Democrats, both Chuck Schumer, Hakeem Jeffries and Joe Biden, apparently all said that they are happy about protecting, quote, important national priorities in funding. And those comments alone make me very nervous about what those priorities are because we already know what Democrat priorities are in government and it's not doing anything that's constitutionally what they're supposed to be focusing on in the first place. It's not something that they're good at. It's not something that they're efficient at and it's not something that they're supposed to be touching in the first place. So if they're making these comments, yeah, we may have been able to get some government cuts. That's cool. But what it seems to me, at least more and more right now, is that Mike Johnson, while still trying to get his feet wet in this way of unifying everybody to get something passed, he's tried to give Democrats some priorities on what their fundings are in order to make some cuts elsewhere. And while the cuts are nice, it's nowhere near what they need to be. In all honesty, which I get it, I'm more of a purist, I'm so frustrated with the federal budget, I don't want to talk about it unless we go from uh, the $1.7 trillion that we're seeing to Congress coming out and saying we have a budget for the entire federal budget that's both mandatory and uh, discretionary spending for under a trillion dollars. <laughs> and if they could do that, then I would be happy. But right now we're seeing about a 1% difference in the past budget than what we're seeing right now. And the past budget, by the way, was more than we've ever seen in our entire lifetime. So if we could get back to three, four, five years ago in a federal budget and go to those levels, I would be content. And I think most Republicans on the at least the House Freedom Caucus would say the same thing, which is why so many of them are going to vote no and why this probably is not going to happen, which means we're going to go into a uh, January 19th, next Friday, of a deadline for phase one of drastic cuts in different agencies, and I'm totally okay with that. I'm totally okay with them trying to do cutbacks because if they're able to survive and keep the doors open at a less level, that means what they're making right now is way too much. What they're doing and spending right now is way too much money, and we could do some major cuts. I, I hate to say this because I'm not trying to be the divisive guy here, but 
At the same time, if Democrats are happy with spending levels, that means spending levels are probably 80% too high. I don't want to be the divisive guy. I want to be able to hold hands, sing kumbaya, and work together on this issue. But Democrats have gone so far radical in spending that it's unreasonable, it's unrational, and it's unsupported. It's it's unable to maintain at those current levels. So if they're content with it, that means that we're not doing enough. We want them to be kicking and screaming and throwing a fit. And for us, as the Republicans and the power of the purse through the House Republicans and a unified House membership, even with our only five-vote majority that we may have right now, with McCarthy out, with George Santos out, with Steve Scalise gone for a month, that we have the power of the purse, we unite as a Republican Party, we hand them a bill and say either shut down the government or pass ours, period, end of story, no questions asked, we've done our part. Now you have to do yours. And if you do shut down the government, it's your fault. Where's that messaging? And I guarantee you that every Republican voter out there, especially in the primaries coming up for the next few weeks and months in the presidential primaries, that will rally Republicans beyond anything that we could ever imagine because we actually stood to our guns. And Johnson's done that decently so far. Let's not falter on one of the main number one priorities that Republican voters have going into this year, which is getting the budget under control and cutting wasteful spending. Back at it again tomorrow. We're ready to go again for a Tuesday. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.